Shut up and sit down. Hello and welcome to the Futures Focus podcast, courtesy of Prospects1500.com. I am your host, Alex Sanchez, joined here today by David Gasper, who is apparently in a blizzard to end all blizzards up in Wisconsin. <laughs> David, my friend, uh, I have a random question for you. All right. Who is your favorite Milwaukee brewer of all time that got traded away and you were so devastated to see lead before their time oh man oh you know there's been a lot of guys uh, that were traded but one guy that i really enjoyed as a prospect coming up one guy that i was really looking forward to having on the brewers for years to come brett phillips man like the 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 hero in world in the joker game four he's got the laugh you know like there, there was, you know, Mom Joke Monday with him and uh, Will Smith, uh, now the reliever for the Braves. <laughs> I do remember that, and, yeah. Like, his his laugh was just, it was the greatest thing yeah. of of all time. And, like, I just, I wanted that dude to, to be a starter, to be so successful. And, I mean, he was traded away from Mike Moustakis. And don't get me wrong, that was great. Love Moose as well. But, yeah, Brett Phillips, man. How could you not love having that guy on your team? Yeah, that's a good answer. I like that answer. Uh, for me, uh, we had uh, Ryan Klesko that we traded away in like 97 or 98. And he was like my favorite mm-hmm. player. And uh, they traded him away. And I was, I think we got like Quivlio Veras and Reggie Sanders. And then Sanders sucked. And I was so mad. And <laughs> it's just funny how we have these guys that we, we just wanted to have, you know, 10 years of watching them and then it didn't happen. So anyway, we have a wonderful episode here today. We have the Detroit Tigers and the Florida Marlins, or the Miami Marlins, whatever they're called nowadays, <laughs> for the top 50. Uh, we have two guests on today. We have uh, Kurt and Stoffer. We're going to uh, talk to them individually. But first, let's go over the news and notes. Uh, news and notes? News and notes. David, are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Okay, we have a couple of news notes to get to. Actually, one huge trade that went down, I think we'll lead off our news and notes section with. And of course, I'm talking about Nolan Arenado being traded to the St. Louis Cardinals in exchange for Jake Summers, Austin Gomber, Aloris uh, Montero, Mon- uh, Mateo Gill, and Tony Losi. Uh, really quickly, just because for the sake of our podcast not running too long this week uh, what are your initial thoughts on the deal and return for uh, superstar nolan arenado this is the dumbest trade of all time like <laughs> it, it's really absolutely insane and nothing against you know those five players but combined together they are not even worth the pinky finger of nolan arenado like th- like this is absolutely ridiculous i've got no idea what in the world the Rockies are doing. Even their owner said, oh, I, you know, there were a whole bunch of times I thought this deal didn't make sense. And <laughs> it's just like, then why didn't you do something about it? 
Like the the fa- here's how a decent general manager will have done this. The call comes in. Uh, hey, who is this? Oh, it's John Mozalak from the Cardinals. Oh, hey, what are you looking for? Oh, you're looking for Nolan Arenado. Well, if your package doesn't start with Dylan Carlson and Nolan Gorman, I'm hanging up the phone. That's what it should have been. The fact that they didn't get either one of those guys, they didn't even get anything close to that to that caliber of prospect return for Nolan Arenado for six years. It's ugh. And especially as a fan of a different team in the NL Central, it is incredibly frustrating that he goes to the Cardinals and the Cardinals give up absolutely nothing. Nothing. I initially agreed 100% with what you were saying. Then I thought about it a little bit longer. And the opt-outs, I think I still don't fully understand who can opt out when and, and how and whatnot from my basic understanding is like Nolan controls everything going forward. Yeah. I I get that part as a risk. But then I look back and see that, oh, they're also going to send $50 million with Nolan Aaron. Cardinals. And then I get back to how you initially reacted. And I I just can't grasp why they didn't, uh, why they weren't able to get Dylan or Norman. I, I don't think both was possible, but one, I just don't understand. So yeah. Yeah, not much more to say about that. Uh, out of all those guys, honestly, um, El Loris Montero is probably the big guy. Mateo Gill is the son of Benji Gill, so that's cool. Yeah. But uh, everybody else is they're they're not like very exciting. So <laughs> let's just move yeah. on. To that there's another bad trade actually uh, that also took place in my mind was not nearly as bad, but it was getting up there. Uh, the Angels dealt Jemai Jones for yeah. Alex. Cobb and my initial reactions to this were like, what in the world are the Angels doing? <laughs> because Jemai Jones <laughs> has the ceiling of some, you know, some sort. He didn't show off too badly in his debut, and Alex Cobb is literally Alex Cobb. So, <laughs> what were your thoughts on that deal? Yeah, I thought that was a very interesting uh, return for for Alex Cobb, who, you know, he's older. He hasn't really produced like super well. Just kind of a guy. Um, but the Orioles kicked in about ha- half of yeah. Cobb's salary. Um, so they essentially just bought a prospect. Uh, I'm really not sure why the Angels were willing to trade away uh, Jemai Jones. And, I mean, the Angels do need to improve the rotation. And But, I mean, can't you do better than Alex Cobb? Like, like there are other guys out there on the market. And, like, just... Giving up Jemai Jones for for Alex Cobb, even even at the fifty percent rate or whatever, you're, I think they're only paying like seven or eight million to him. But eh, it just kind of seemed like a weird move to me. It's the Angels' way to acquire as many number four or five starter starters as possible, <laughs> aces at all costs. That's what the Angels have been yeah. doing for a decade, and Alex Cobb fits that perfectly. And also, I think. In my mind, I might be wrong about this, but it probably takes them out of the Trevor Bauer sweepstakes, even though they did kick in a lot of money. But for for me yeah. to make that trade, that means that they don't think they're getting Trevor Bauer. They I still- mean, from what I've seen, Trevor Bauer doesn't want to go to the Angels because he is not a fan of Mickey Calloway, the pitching coach, <laughs> who has well. now been yeah. suspended for his own issues. Yeah, so I don't think there are a lot not- of fans. Yeah, he might not be long for that position, so maybe that could put 
put the Angels back in. But Maybe. Uh, yeah. I, I just saw Robert Murray of Fanside say that the Mets are now engaged with him. So that's going to be interesting. Yeah, that's uh, that's a whole podcast we could talk about. Trevor Bauer is he overrated or is he underrated? I, I still don't really know in my mind. I, yeah. But, um, this is a prospect a prospects podcast, so let's talk about a couple of prospects that actually got some big league invites, which were which are very exciting. Yes. I don't need to talk about every one of these guys. Um, I'll let you pick one, but I don't want you to pick any of the Brewers. That's the rule. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so my list here, and again, there is more, and there'll be more as they come out, but really quickly, Tyler Freeman of the Cleveland Indians, Garrett Mitchell and Bryce Terang of the Milwaukee Brewers, uh, Helio Ramos of the Giants, Travis Swaggerty and Quinn Priester of the Pirates, Julio Rodriguez and Jared Kelnick of the Mariners, and Wander Franco of the Rays, all officially got big league invites. One of those guys, really quickly, just who do you, who do you want to talk about? And how could you not want to talk about Wander Franco? I mean, that that kid's just, you know, all, all everything that you hear about him, everything that you see about him and, and read and every, you know, at bat you watch, it's just, it, it's in, it just gets you so hyped for, for his possible future, you know, like, you know, Wander Franco, like he, he was part of the, the postseason player pool, I think for the Rays mm-hmm. and, you know, he was like getting jerseys and he was like posting them on Instagram and everyone's like, oh, is, is he coming up on the roster? Is he going to make his debut? And it never happened. Uh, but he's just about um, he's getting to be just about ready over there in Tampa. And, you know, he's going to be taking over that starting shortstop job pretty soon uh, in Tampa Bay. So that that's someone that's really kind of exciting to see if he has a really good camp. Maybe he can uh, get the opening day nod. Yeah. <clears throat> Agreed. I think there are some factors that play with the Rays and the way they like to uh, distribute playing time that worry you a little bit for like an initial 2021. Like if you're doing a redraft league when it comes to Wander, but dynasty wise, he's still as good as he's ever been. And uh, very exciting to see that the future is going to be here really, really quickly for Mr. Franco. Uh, The one guy I wanted to mention really quickly before we move on to our top 50 list is Tyler Freeman. I think he is a supremely underrated prospect when it comes to dynasty leagues. He has a, one of the best hit tools in the entire minor league uh, in the entire minor leagues, not just the Cleveland Indian system, but anybody. Um, He actually went to my high school uh, at Awanda. So he took over the position that I played when I was, in high school decades before him, of course, but still he's, uh, he was, you know, an Eagle. So I appreciate that from him as well, but he's a guy that added a little bit of power and loft to swing from reports over the summer. And if he can add, you know, 15 to 20 home run potential with a, his hit tool and a little bit of speed while playing shortstop, I think he's an exciting prospect. So his time is actually, I think being pushed up a little bit now, I wasn't really expecting him until maybe 2022, but maybe we see him this year. All right. The last thing I'm going to actually save for when we talk to Kurt with the Tigers, and uh, that has to do with Matt Manning adding a new pitch. So if you're interested in that, stay tuned. But first, we're going to hit the Miami Marlins with uh, Stoffer here in a second. And uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back with that system. (laughs) 
Okay, we are here with Stoffer Cochran. He is our correspondent for the Florida slash Miami Marlins. Mr. Cochran, how are you doing today? Uh, just another day in paradise. How about y'all? We are fantastic. We're very, very excited to talk about the Marlins here. As a Braves fan, they are making me a little bit nervous as the amount of talent in this system is becoming exceedingly uh, impressive. So give us some of your thoughts uh, as an introduction to the system, where it's at, and uh, we'll start with that. Yeah. Um, they had a, a lot of negative press trading away uh, Stanton, Ozuna, and Yellick a few years ago, and part of that was they had to clear the payroll and they had to rebuild the farm system because the direction they wanted to go is build from within to create a sustainable organization that can use the minor leagues to feed to their major leagues and be successful for a long period of time. So in essence, maybe those trades did or didn't work out. We might get into that a little later, but they have done what they've needed to to put themselves in the position by smart drafting and getting some key guys to the organization, and they're deeper than they've been in a long time. Awesome. Well, let's get right into it here. We have your Tier 1 players include Sixto Sanchez, the right-handed flamethrower, and Jazz Chisholm. Um, I'm interested in both of these players, but my question for you is how much Jazz do we get to expect to listen to in 20? 21. I think we're going to I think we're going to see a good amount. Uh he's going to battle for second base in spring training and everywhere he's been along the minor leagues he's always got off to a slow start his first taste but the second time around he's always excelled. So I'm looking for that in spring training and if he can get off to a hot start he's going to be battling for that second base position between Diaz and birdie and him. So if he doesn't get the position, then he'll go down to the minors and work on his craft a little bit and be back up. He's only 23 years old. So he's still got a little bit of time to work on things in the minors. And then you got Sixto Sanchez there, your number one spot. He was kind of the, the prize piece of the return for JT real Muto. And he made his debut this last year. And when I saw him, he looked pretty electric um, do you think he's going to be able to really kind of establish himself as uh, a top of the rotation starter here in 2021? I think he will. Um, I think the pitching coaches have really worked with him to um, define attacking the zone. When they first got him, he his K per nine was a little low. And you look at the second half coming from Jacksonville when he uh, pitched in double A, he really got his K per nine up a little bit. And I think, He's got to focus on attacking and just being confident in what he's throwing and knowing that he's going to get the person out and trust his defense to help him out if he doesn't. Here in your Tier 2, I was a little surprised to see J.J. Blade not in Tier 1. Um, I love this kid. I think he has multiple All-Star appearances in front of him. So I'm curious to know how close he is to Tier 1 and what was the rationale uh, to putting him right there in uh, your first spot in the tier two. I'll tell you what, it was close. Um, the problem that I had is not as he hasn't faced advanced pitching yet. I look for a double a uh, positioning to see what he can do at that level. And then I'd be more confident putting on a, 
But when they start throwing those crooked balls, that's when I want to know what he can do with the ball. Yeah, and, and you followed him up with you know another first-round pick, um, two first-round picks back-to-back there. Max Meyer uh, went third overall this past year. And, you know, I was a little surprised to see Meyer go that high with uh, what, what I was looking at with, with mock drafts and everything else. Um, but, I mean, he was, he was a first pitcher off the board coming out of Minnesota, so not really a, a warm-weather uh, state uh, as, the mid, as the upper Midwest just gets blasted with a snowstorm today. Um, but yeah, I mean, Max Meyer's a guy that he seems like someone that, that can move pretty quickly through a minor league system as a, as an advanced college arm. I was surprised that they went with him there. I was kind of rooting for Asa Lacey, but yeah, uh, cause he's all, Max Meyer only had what 14 starts in three seasons at Minnesota. So that's a little concern. Um, but he's got a, a nasty wicked slider. Um, his fastball is probably a plus pitch too. And if he can just develop a third pitch, uh, I know he's working on his change up to be at least average. I think he can be an effective starter and I think he's going to be a good one. Yeah. I was surprised with that pick too. He almost feels like a high school pitcher more so, (laughs) but man, some of the video I was able to watch him. I kind of understood it after a little bit more research. I'm going to skip down a little bit. And then David, if you want to hit some of these other guys too, then feel free, but I'm going to talk about, Two guys I absolutely love, and I'm I'm sad to see them number nine and number ten in your rankings. Because for me, I have Cameron Misner as a top 100 prospect, and Peyton Burdick is knocking on the door of my top 100s list. But according to this, I don't think they're top 100 prospects for you. I might be wrong, but um, at number nine, number ten, Cameron Misner, Peyton Burdick. Should I get off the hype train a little bit, or what's going on with those two? Oh, ride that train all the way into town. They're going to be good. Um, you just got to look at the guys above them, though. Um, Edward Cabrera, he's got to be up there. Lewin Diaz is is a massive first baseman prospect with a great glove. And it just came down to there's so many prospects. And I had to I, – I moved them up on my list a little bit, um, especially Burdick. He moved up a couple spots. But they had a great – showing an A. Um, I'm looking to see what they can do. The lost season kind of hurts and was hard to move them up more. I wanted to see what they would do after their start, but I'm definitely keeping my eye on them. Another guy that that I've kind of found interesting in this tier two group, Trevor Rogers, uh, the lefty pitcher there at number eight. Now he was a bigger prospect, you know, a couple years ago, but hasn't really been making um, as much noise uh, since I don't think um, what, what are your kind of thoughts on, you know, Trevor Rogers and where he could uh, end up fitting on this uh, Marlins team? I think he's got the talent to be a uh, probably a third starter for this team. You think Alcantara is going to be first six to two, however you want to divide those two up. And I think Rogers can step in there as a big six, five lefty and just, you know, dominate. He's, he doesn't have a lot of uh, minor league innings. Well, I think he's got 210, but he didn't he's he's shown that he can get the strikeout in the minor leagues and keep his whip and ERA in line. So I think the lefty helps with that. At number eleven, Braxton Garrett, a left-handed pitcher, was somebody that I really, really liked when he was drafted a few years back. Uh, some injuries kind of held his progress from getting off the ground early on, but I was very surprised to see him make his MLB uh, MLB debut already, as you state here in your write-up, that he only had one game in double-A 
or above in his career. So are we going to see him again or does he need more seasoning? Uh, I, I always really liked him. Um, tell us a little bit about Braxton Garrett. Uh, I think he's going to be there in spring training, but he, I think it's destined that he goes back down and gets a little more seasoning in the minor leagues. Uh, he needs a few more games there at double A, but good strikeout potential above, you know, Caper nine kind of guy. Uh, he just kind of attacks his own and lets his uh, fastball do the talking. All right, then coming in at number 12, you have the last remaining guy uh, in the that's still prospect eligible from the Christian Yelich trade, Monty Harrison. Um, he's a guy that, you know, he, he strikes out a lot. He, he's got big strikeout issues, but also big power. And, you know, he made his debut last year, didn't really go that well uh, looking at his numbers and really kind of the whole return um, for the most part. Lewis Brinson um, hasn't really performed as expected. Asan Diaz hasn't performed as expected, but, you know, he's competing for that second base job coming in, coming into camp with Chisholm. Uh, and then Jordan Yamamoto got DFA'd and, and traded a few weeks ago. Uh, but what are your really kind of hopes for Harrison? You know, do you think he might be the you know last best hope to get some sort of salvage out of the Christian Yelich trade? Yeah, we um, we're talking about a guy that's got you know five tool talent. Uh, he might end up being kind of a quad A player as this floor, but I think we can see a serviceable outfielder here that's going to um, contribute on a day basis. I don't I don't think he's ever going to um, make me feel comfortable with what we got in the return for Yellick. But <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was an MVP, right? So, yeah, but Monty Harrison, he, I think he, he'll be a solid player. Uh, he's sitting at 25 years old. He's still got some time to show what he can do in the majors, but he, he's got to cut down on those strikeouts or he's just going to be benched a lot. I feel like David doesn't even care about Monte. Harrison. <laughs> <laughs> Bring up the trade. When, when that trade happened, you know, Monty Harrison is really kind of the only guy I was like, man, I, I didn't really like giving that guy up because he, he was coming off a good year there in 2017. You know, he had the big power. But yeah, and then I think he struck out like 200 times or something in double A in 2018. And I'm just like, you know, I, I think we're turning out OK in this deal. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not really worried whatever happens. I'm I'm still saying that that the Brewers. Uh, won that deal. It's an absolute heist. I, I think it ended up being, but you know, at the time, it, it really was, I, I think, a solid return. Especially since Yellick needed to get out or wanted to get out. Yeah, so it's hard to have any kind of leverage when you're. It's it's known what the player wants. Yeah. Pl- plus, Yelich, he never was a 30-40 homer type guy down in Miami. You know, he had at most, I, th- I think, like 21 in a season down there. So he would, he never really kind of showed that power ability. And then he gets to Miller park, the short porch and right field. And it, it's more in general, a hitters park and Marlins park is well, more better suited for pitchers. So I think that also really kind of, you know, really helped him out and it, it just kind of ended up being a more positive thing for him. Absolutely. Stoffer, I know you and I are big into the baseball card world. I have two autographs here of these guys in Tier 3, one being Gerard Encarnacion, the other being Nassim Nunez. Um, I want your opinion of those two. Which one's going to help pay for college for my daughter in the future? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, baseball card collecting is not going to pay for – at least the way I do it doesn't pay for college. (laughs) But, um, you know – 
JR is really good. Um, I just wish his glove was as good as his bat because he might be knocking on the door to start right now. But um, if there's if there's a universal DH, if that becomes a thing, then his path to the majors becomes much faster. Um, Nassim, I think they got a steal in him. He's uh, able to get on base and he can steal and steal bases. The only thing he's got to work on is his hit tool. He's got to get on base to be a fantasy asset. And another um, important name here in Tier 3, uh, he was a former uh, Northwoods League guy, former lacrosse logger, um, where I uh, worked at for a year. Um, but he's a very important name for, for Marlins fans, Griffin Conine. Uh, he's he's now in the Marlins system after the Jonathan VR trade, and he, he's coming in at 16 on your list. And do, do you think maybe coming home to Miami is going to – perhaps help bring the best out of Griffin Conine on the field? I think so. I think coming back to a place where he's familiar with, um, and they can develop some outfield prospects. They have a lot of outfield prospects that they're developing. And, you know, you want to put the best of the best together and see which one rises to the top. And I think Conine is, uh, I think he's going to be able to rise because he's got some massive power potential. I'm looking through the, Guys right after Conine um, and Nunez, number 20 through, I'm going to go down to Evan Edwards at 28. I honestly don't know very much about any of these guys. So I'm wondering if that's a drop-off that we're seeing here or that these are some underrated guys that we should know about. So in that range, uh, 20 to 27, uh, what do you think about that? those group of guys? Is, does somebody stick out to you, or is there a drop-off after after Conine? There's a name drop-off, but um, talent drop-off I don't think is quite as sharp as uh, what you're portraying here. Uh, Cape and Salas are international guys that were signed. Um, they both project uh, top 10 at least. Mm. Um we have uh, – and Evan Edwards is one of the best gloves I've ever seen on scouting. He's uh, He can pick anything at first base, and if he can get his bat moving, he might be a, he might be a nice uh, little steal in the draft. Um, Vesa was a good bullpen arm. Uh, he's a little bit older than the rest of the guys in that, in that frame. So there's definitely some more talent there. It's just the other guys kind of overshadow. When you're talking about 15 guys from an organization, the next 15 are kind of lost in the fray. And then moving on down to Tier 4 here, started off at 29 with Victor Victor Mesa, uh, one of my favorite names in all of minor league baseball. Uh, but, you know, for him, I mean, I, I remember he was a pretty uh, big-name international signing when the Marlins got him a couple of years ago. And, you know, he's he's already down here at 29 in, in Tier 4, so it uh, seems like he's really kind of dropped off a little bit. Yeah, he had a rough first year, um, but I think this might be a case of Victor Victor Mesa might be a better baseball player than he's a fantasy contributor. Mm. I think he's a glove first kind of guy, and I think if he just sticks to what he knows, he's going to be a great fourth outfielder. Moving down just a couple spots at number 32, Evan Fitterer, age twenty. Uh, fifth round pick in 2019. He's a name that I've seen come up a, a few times after going through the system. What do you think about him? Does he have a, 
a potential starting spot or is he more of a bullpen guy for you? I think they're still playing with him on what they're going to do with the fifth round pick. Um, he walks a few too many people um, that which causes, uh, you know, his ERA to go or his whip to go up a little bit. He's done a good job of pitching out of trouble. So I think the jury's still out on him. I, I look to see what he can do in a ball this year. And then coming in at 34, you got a guy that I really kind of like going into the draft a couple years ago, Will Banfield, the catcher. Um, is he just probably going to be a future um, backup that, that serves around the around the league for a little while, or is his bat going to be able to to play enough where he can be a starter? I'm hoping the bat comes around, but I'm not very confident, which is why he got stuffed down to tier four there. Mm. Uh, he hasn't shown a lot of power even doubles power um, looking to see if I know catching generally takes a little longer to develop offensively for that yeah. profile. So 21 years old, I think this, this is going to be a good year to see what he can do. Heading on over to our last tier, tier five. Stoffer, let me ask you this. When I'm looking at my tier five guys um, and guys just in this range, forget about the tiers, but even in the thirties, forties and fifties, I'm looking for, Young guys that are, are flashing huge ceilings, even though they might never even get it past, you know, single A. Uh, but 38, 23 years old, Thomas Jones, J.D. Orr, 24, uh, Joe Dunnett, 25. These are a little bit older type of guys. What are they doing down here? Are they are you having them down here because you, you think that they're going to contribute? Or I just wanted to know kind of what your thought process was behind that. Well, for Jones and Orr, they got a lot of competition to try to overcome. Um, that's kind of what I put them down there. I didn't want to put them in Tier 4 yet. I want to see. They they could catch a spark and get somewhere real quick. Um, Dunnand, he he teared it up in the Winter League. He tore it up in the Winter League. And I, I just feel like there might be something there. And if he can just kind of put it all together, he could shoot up the midseason rankings pretty quick. There's not a lot of depth at third base in the Marlins organization. Really quickly, David, before you ask your next question, that's not Pete Orr's son, is it? <laughs> Both fast? No? no? I don't think so. Uh, former Brave. That's for yeah. all Braves fans out there. Uh, same kind of profile, it seems like. Maybe he is. I'll have to look that up. David, go ahead and ask your question. I'll look that up. Maybe maybe someone related. I don't know about his son. Uh, I think that'd be a little bit quick, but... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, um, you, you have one of your uh, recent uh, 2020 draft picks, Jake Eater, fourth rounder, down at 47. Um, is, is he a pick that you just really kind of weren't a big fan of to have him all the way down here in uh, Tier 5 to, to start off, or um, is he someone that's really just a, a super low-ceiling type of dude? Yeah, I think that um, I think he'll be maybe a fifth starter. That's, that's kind of where I see his, his max at and maybe a swingman. Um, and then again, we see what he does against the in the pro circuit here when he starts out and see what he's got. Um, it's kind of I wasn't completely sold on him. That's that's for sure. Yeah, I don't see a relationship. Pete Orr is 41 right now, so I don't think he would have a 24 year old son. So I wonder. I'm just sure that's what everybody came here to hear about. You'd that. have to be what 17. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. Fair enough. Maybe maybe a long-lost cousin, something like that. Okay, <laughs> um, Let's go ahead and we'll use this time to maybe give you an opportunity to talk about one or two prospects that we didn't touch on that uh, you are really 
fond of and want the people to know about. So this is your time. Give us one or maybe even two if you want, maybe three. It's up to you. But give us some other guys that we weren't able to touch on quite yet. All right. My first guy that uh, I want to highlight in a loaded outfield system is Connor Scott. A lot of people forgot about him. He's a 2018 first round pick. I think I, I think he's going to be good because he's overlooked. I think he's got the potential to, to be a, a stat filler. He just needs to cut down on the strikeouts. But if he can get that on, he's going to be good. And let me get one more guy for you. Yeah, we overlooked him, so there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yori Perez, international free agent, signed out of the Dominican Republic. He's 6'5", right-handed pitcher. Um, the body type is great. Uh, he was signed at 6'5". Now he's 6'9", 190 pounds. Uh, I can't wait to see this guy pitch in person. Yeah, that, that reminds me of uh, my playing days because I think at that point I was like six foot eight and like 190 pounds ish. So that's pretty skinny, dude. <laughs> He's pretty skinny. I need to see, I need to see what he can do with the with his uh, mechanics and see how repeatable he can make his body. But if he can put it together, he's got he's got some skills. David, you just say you're six foot eight? Yep. What the hell? <laughs> yeah, that's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't tell it from uh from from here, but yeah, one hundred percent. I've gained enough. I've gained a couple of pounds um <laughs> since then, but yeah. Just to add some meat to your fastball, right? I wish it would have <laughs> been nice if it did, um, because my fastball topped out at about like seventy eight, um, <laughs> so yeah, that that would have been nice if if it could have added some more meat to the fastball. <laughs> Yeah, if you're not a pitcher at 6'8", then you just have the strike zone of a 6'8 person. And <laughs> yeah. Well, other than that, I would have had to play first base, and I could not hit. So <laughs> my coaches were like, you're going to be a pitcher. And that's <laughs> well, yeah, you would assume that the, the velocity would go. I had a, uh, my roommate actually was 6'7", as well. And he, again, velocity never came for him, even though he was that that tall. It just It's not a magical thing. It's a gift. <laughs> it's, what it, it's kind of what yeah. velocity. Is. Like, like it's unfair like you can do like all this stuff to and you can barely get your velocity up to 80 and then meanwhile you have justin verlander who just threw 92 just waking up out of bed in the morning <laughs> yeah. don't, in high school before he even worked out or anything it was ridiculous or like a jordan ventura is throwing 100 and he's like five foot five it's like come on yeah Rest in peace. But um, all right, Stoffer, we got on a weird tangent there, but uh, I wanted to thank you for coming on to the the podcast. Really do appreciate your insight. I think the Marlins have a fantastic system. I think I ranked them in the, the top five when I was doing our organizational rankings. So the future is very, very bright. Uh, so long as they don't try to make any more Christian Yelich type trades, I think they'll be. <laughs> Now, I welcome some more Christian Yelich type trades from the, from the We all do. We all do. Well, in order to make those <laughs> trades, some of these uh, prospects panned out. So, that I mean, hey, I'm down. Let's do it. That's very true. Yeah. All right, fantastic. We are moving on to our next system with Kurt Moody, the Detroit Tigers Top 50. So we'll be right back after, these, uh, after this to go over that system. So hang tight. All right, joining us now is Kurt Moody. He is our correspondent with the Detroit Tigers. Stoffer Cochran is also staying on because why not have more people ask questions about this loaded Tiger system? But 
I want to welcome Kurt. Welcome to the broadcast. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Uh, I know you're really, really excited to talk about Tigers because obviously they are your favorite team. I know that. And this is your first year, correct me if I'm wrong, but doing the Tigers for Prospects 1500, right? Correct. I was previously uh, covering the Astros, but had the opportunity to bounce over to my childhood hometown team and, and couldn't resist. Yeah, very exciting. Very exciting. Well, it's a very, very loaded system. I think I actually had them either one or two. I can't recall, but I had them, you know, they're one of the best organizations in terms of talent. Uh, so give us the introduction to your Tigers farm system. Well, I'm, I'm glad you chose the right words of they're one of the organizations that have the most talent. Unfortunately, what that organization does with the talent is uh, is yet to be seen. But there's there's cause for a lot of excitement. You know, the last last three years of having Casey Mize, Riley Green and now Spencer Torkelson has has really rejuvenated what was a completely depleted farm system. So to be able to have, I think, five players in the MLB top 100 uh, is is a feat amongst itself. And we're really close, probably within two years, of getting all five of those on the big league team. All right, let's jump right into it here. You have tier one. Okay, so I guess my thing is kind of like comparing these prospects to like their best possible players. Like I've compared people to Bryce Harper and Christian Yelich and David always gasps at me and says, well, whoa, whoa. But, um, and I'm going to do it again here with Spencer Torkelson. Okay. Not defensively, but offensively, his swing looks like Mike Trout to me. Have you noticed that at all? Am I uh, just seeing things I want to see or is that swing just pretty? It is. It's probably the most, balance sound and you know fundamentally sound swing i've seen since trout uh i don't like i love to hear that comparison it's tough to look at that comparison because after all trout is probably going to go down as a multi-generational talent uh what i see in torkelson is just it's so easy watching him at the plate uh not only with just power to every single field uh, gap power, bat for average, it looks effortless to him. It's one of those swings where you see the swing and you're like, oh, that's just a little single. And then you look at the ball flight and it's 30 rows deep. It's it's unreal, the ceiling that this kid has. David, I'm going to interrupt you because I know you have a question here too, but Torkelson is just, I could talk all day on him. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts, Kurt. Torkelson was there, was he number two or number three on MLB Pipeline, which of course is the real life and it's real life prospects uh, lit MLB where they're taking defense into consideration. So to see him up that high with that without any sort of defensive value, what was your take uh, when seeing that? Yeah, MLB Pipeline has him at three. Uh, you're right. They have him marked as a third baseman, first baseman. So what I think could happen is while he played first base a lot more uh, in college, the third base corner is probably where he's going to end up just because of his arm strength. Uh, and 
I don't want to say to protect them because a lot of power hitters come from those corner infield spots. Uh, but to see him that high, you know, rated above the Julio Rodriguez and the the Northwest Bash brothers and above Wit right out of the gate, I think speaks to where he's at maturity-wise in his development, both in the field and at the plate. Yeah, and then you have him followed up with uh, Casey Mize, uh, who was another number one overall pick uh, a couple of years ago. But now, I mean, he's um, getting a big league ready. And, you know, his debut in 2020 didn't go that well. Um, but, you know, the, he still seems like a guy that, you know, he's got the the upside, the, the, the big upside of a top-of-the-rotation starter. And, you know, may need to make some adjustments at the big league level. but you know, he's a guy that he's number two on your list, still a tier one guy, and he should really be leading that rotation for the next several years. Yeah, I've I've got Mize a little bit higher, I think, than some of uh, some of our industry. Mize, to your point, did not have a very good debut uh, across his starts last year. Uh, there was something off with his mechanics. Uh, he was he struggled with command. You know, he threw a, he threw his full arsenal almost every single start, but then would get behind in counts. And Mize is going to be one of those pitchers that, because he can throw four solid pitchers for strikes, he really relies on getting ahead of the batter. And he found that, you know, especially his debut against the White Sox, it's tough to keep Tim Anderson and Jimenez and Abreu off balance. Uh, the the talent level going from Erie straight into Major League Baseball was just, it was different for him. Uh, I still think he's going to overcome that. I think he's made some offseason improvements on mechanics. Uh, he's he's going to come out and prove why he is going to be, to your point, the future ace of the staff. So here we are, what? Five minutes, six minutes into this podcast here with you, and we still are not out of tier one, and we still have two more players to touch on. So this is getting pretty ridiculous. But Riley Green, number three, um, I view him, I guess, in my mind, tell me if I'm wrong, as a better real-life prospect than he would be possibly in a fantasy world. Um, is that correct, or is this guy have a ceiling that's maybe a, a little bit bigger than I'm giving him credit for? I think you're right when it comes to the fantasy line. Uh, this is a kid who he could go 25-25 and bat in eight and and drive in 80. Uh, I don't think he's ever going to have that you know 40 home run, 120 RBI season. Uh, a lot of it is also going to hinge on how does he come up in relationship with Torkelson? Uh, I kind of have them both slotted to be on the opening day roster next year in 2022. If they can put together a, you know, two, three, four of green Torkelson. And if Candelario can maintain his bat that he had last year, I think Green's runs and RBIs could potentially even be higher for fantasy impact. His his fantasy impact's going to rely a lot who's in front of him and behind him in the lineup. 
because what Green has is just this uncanny ability to get on base. And then his speed, I think, is one of the undervalued aspects of of his game. And then you got a number four uh, here, final spot in tier one. You got Tariq Skubal, uh, who really kind of overshadowed Mize in, in terms of the the two young pitching prospects coming up and making their big league debuts. Skubal's went a lot better, um, and he seems like someone, especially as a lefty, um, who will bring you know extra value to to the Tigers on the field. But um, fantasy wise, he he doesn't seem to have the kind of ceiling uh, that Mize does. Correct. Well, Mize, Mize could be your 200 strikeout, uh, you know, the, I, I, we made a Mike Trout reference to Torkelson, so I'm going to bite my tongue and say in a Verlander-esque comparison for Mize. Scoopball is more of the make contact with soft fly balls, ground outs. I believe he can still be a, you know, a nine, nine Ks per nine pitcher, but I don't think you're going to see a 13 K outing or a 15 K outing out of Scooball. Now, what Scooball does offer is a just sneaky fast delivery out of that left left hand slot that just his 95 96 mile an hour fastball comes at the batter probably closer to triple digits in their eyes. It's uh it's impressive. And to your point, he had the best debut season last year for any Tiger rookie. Um, I, I want to be tepid going into 2021 because I don't know if he can continue to be as good as he was at the end of the 2020 season, but his last six starts of the shortened year last year, and he gave up less than three, uh, three runs. So it was, it was one of the, or sorry, less than two runs, but only got three runs in support. So it's one of those, these young pitchers, the, what I fear for most out of Mize and Scooball to wrap Scooball up is mentally, can they handle an off, staying in a game, giving up two or three runs and still losing? Because the Tigers offense coming into this year is, is not going to be that great. So it's going to take a one run or two run outing to get a win. Before we move on really quickly, you mentioned that Mize could be that 200 strikeout guy and Scooble could be the, the pitch to contact guy. But when I'm thinking of those two, I have them reversed in my mind because Scooble, you know, had that ridiculous 2019 where he struck out 179 guys in like 100 innings. And yep. then Mize in the minors hasn't even, you know, he's been about a strikeout per inning guy, which is still okay. Um, so I just wanted to get a little bit more clarification on why you have those two like that based on, you know, kind of the minor suggesting otherwise. I think it's one, it's going to go to Mises for full arsenal. I think Scooball gets a lot, uh, by getting that, that foul ball contact, that stain in the zone that you get from just a consistent hammering of the zone. Uh, I think that if Tarek can get a changeup and curveball to really buckle at, a, at at the batter, he could be that extreme strikeout at a major league level. I think some of his minor league Ks are to his detriment against the quality of batter he's facing. Um, right now, if you were to put him side by side, I'd agree with you. 
I think Mize's ceiling to be that strikeout ace is is higher than Scooball's. I'm just going to um, skip down here a little bit. Uh, Alex, if you want to skip back up afterwards, you know that's fine. But now we're getting down into Tier 2. And one guy I really want to talk about uh, is Dylan Dingler. You know, second-round pick this last year. Like, I'm going to be honest, I loved the Tigers draft this past year. Like, every time, like, they they came up and they announced their selection, I, I instantly loved that pick. Like, starting with Torkelson, you had Dingler, you had Trey Cruz, you had Daniel Cabrera. You had all these guys, Colt Keith, um, get to, we'll get to all of them, I'm, I'm sure. But, you know, Dingler was a guy that he just seems like like a baller, like a gamer. You know, like someone that you just want to have in your organization. And, you know, he, he's got a pretty strong ability to, to stick behind the plate. And he seems like a very interesting prospect to watch going forward. No, I completely agree. I, I jokingly have to have some Ohio colored baseball cards in my collection of Dingler uh, <laughs> against my better judgment. But Dingler is one of those guys where he could be an all-star catcher for probably, I don't know, five, six years in the middle of his, in his prime of his career, uh, both from a behind the plate, like you said, but also his, his bat. He's he's got just a great balanced swing. Uh, he doesn't go all out for anything. It's it's smooth, effortless power. Um, I'm I'm more interested in his development on how to manage the future rotation. Uh, I want a veteran catcher, and they signed Wilson Ramos to that. And then having AJ Hinch as the manager, you know, former major league catcher. I think that the catchers in the Tiger system are going to be the biggest impacted by Hinch's hire. Uh, Dingler is, I mean, he's not a young guy. He's 22. So, again, this could be a two-year two uh, rise through the system to, to the Major League Ball Club and, and join some of those higher prospects rather quickly. So long as it's not Jake Rogers, am I right? I think I don't want to dive so far down the list to talk about Jake Rogers. I think that AJ Hinch is going to give Rogers the chance Um, catcher to catcher. I'm, I understand that he had his struggles, but he didn't get one major league at bat last year. And I think that was a disservice to his development. I think that there, there should have been some games the Tigers were in a complete rebuild. They're not playing for the playoffs. Let's give the guy a few more at-bats at the major league level before we deem that trade even worse than it already is. How many Jake Rogers autos do you have? Ooh, autographs? Uh, I'd say s- somewhere around 20. Okay, so that's why we're, we're amping him up right there. I gotcha. Okay, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Moving back up to uh, number five, just because I mentioned him in our news and notes, actually, Mr. Matt Manning. Uh, yeah, there was a report that he's been working on a new pitch, which is some sort of slider slash cutter combo. Mm-hmm. And when I was doing my rankings last year, it's been a year, um, but I did have Matt Manning ahead of Scooble and Mize. And now I agree with you. I think that he's clearly the third option 
based even just solely on the fact that the other two made their debut. But should we? I feel like we shouldn't be forgetting about Matt Manning, and he has almost as much upside as the other two. Um, is that accurate, or uh, has his stock gone down a little bit? I think he absolutely has the ceiling that the other two have. Uh, Manning is, if you put Manning, Mize, and Scooball lined up, Manning looks like he could take LeBron one-on-one. I mean, Manning is just a, he's a physical beast um, with just an amazing curveball and a great uh, sinking fastball. The concern with Manning was coming into last year, he was on pace to be ahead of Mize and Scooball, as you said. Uh, He had some forearm strain. He had some lingering, I think, mechanic and consistency issues that put some strain between his wrist and elbow, and they shut him down. And anytime you shut down a 22-year-old pitcher uh, who's slated to be better than your number one overall pick, there's there's a little bit of concern. Uh, now, in the offseason and in his recovery, everybody who watches this kid says he's he's back and even stronger, that he's, he's fixed the tweak uh, in his arm slot. He's fixed on the spin rate that I believe he was trying to get too much spin out of his curveball, and that's what hurt his forearm. But I he does. He has a ceiling that could be a better long-term career than Miser Scooball. And before David, you answer, uh, ask your next question. Uh, we did say Stoffer was still here. Stoffer, you still with us? Oh, I am. I just, uh, I just wanted to comment. I bet you I have more Yamamoto autos than he's got Jake Rogers <laughs> autos. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> yeah, he's not in your. He's a Met now, so. He, I think Yamamoto autos came one per pack in yes. every, every release this year. Should have a lot more Lewis Brinton autos. <laughs> oh, Tristan Pompey, too. Victor Pesa. <laughs> All right, David, why don't you uh, lead us in with another question here? Yeah. All right. So um, as a fan of the 2008 Milwaukee Brewers, uh, Mike Cameron was a big part of that team, you know, 25 homers, 111 OPS plus, big, big guy, and you know, very important player, Mike Cameron, very good player over the years, and his son, Daz Cameron, uh, is number nine on your list, and, you know, do you th- is Daz going to have the, the capability to follow in his dad's footsteps and have a long career hitting 20 plus homers uh, per season in, in center field, or what's the outlook here for Daz Cameron? I I love Daz Cameron. Uh, one, living in Houston and really wanting Detroit to do better out of the Verlander trade. Uh, with Franklin Perez and, and Jake Rogers not living up to that trade, Daz is a Tigers fan. I mean, he is our only hope. He is, he's our Obi-Wan when it comes to what did we get out of the JV trade. And I've... I love. I still like Daz. I had him at number nine. I have him in tier two, which means he could be a an all star with with long uh, long contributions. The difficulty I have is <clears throat> he hit under 200 in 2020. Uh, now that's limited. He only had 50 50 or 60 at bats, um, but he he struggled to make contact. And one of Daz's biggest strengths is his speed. Uh, and his his just baseball IQ, and 
when you're not on base, you can't highlight that speed. Um, we saw during 2020 his ability to cover a huge outfield like Comerica Park has. His his speed and his glove and God, it's it's it, it'd be top six if I didn't think his bat is just needs needs some work. Now with new management and new coaching, new hitting coach, uh, I think Daz will get plenty of major league exposure during this this upcoming season. I just hope that he he seizes on it. All right, Kurt, we are reaching kind of the, the time limit here for what we wanted to spend on uh, both of these systems. So we're going to give you a little challenge here. This is what I like to do when we are running low on time. I'm just going to give you a name, a prospect. I'm going to go down the list here. I want you to give me a, at most one sentence about the player. It could be complete sentence, not complete sentence, but try not to go above that. You think you can handle that? You got it. Okay. All right. Here we go. Uh, Parker Meadows, number 11 on your list. Huge upside. Will be better than his older brother. Number 14, Bryant Packard, outfielder. Huge 2021 in the minors. Oh, prediction. Nice. Uh, Number 17, Wenseal Perez, shortstop. The best all-around defender in the system for the and in, in, in the middle infield number 22 nick Quintana, third baseman better hurry up and figure something out or he'll be a career minor leaguer number 25 just because i want to say it a kill by outfielder i love this rule five pick and i'm really excited to see how much game time he gets at a major league level this year number 29 andre lipsius third baseman second baseman tough 2020 needs to really show up in 2021 or he'll keep falling number 38 brock Deathridge. cool name as well <laughs> Outfielder. complete and utter fan bias I think that Brock is going to crack the major league roster, maybe at the end of this season to beginning the next. And finally, my last one, I'm going to ask you number 44, right-handed pitcher, Alex Lange. Strong, tall. Uh, it's one of those. He needs to work on secondary pitches. So does fastball seems or his fastball can strike people out. Beautiful. Well done, sir. Those are very concise, right to the point. That's what we like now. That allows us to hit a little bit more. Um, but we are running out of time. So, David, did you have anybody else that was on your mind you wanted to ask Kurt while we have him? Yeah, I, I got a little bit of a, a list of my own that, that he can okay. do one sentence uh, responses to. Absolutely. All right. Um, I think I'll probably start off kind of near the top here. Daniel Cabrera, outfielder. I think the sneaky steal of the 2020 draft. Ooh, I like that. Uh, at number 20, Cody Clemens, second baseman, son of Roger Clemens. Will get a really good exposure, uh, I believe, at AAA Toledo this year. Uh, could be a crowded middle infield in the next year or two at the major league level. 
All right, another one of my kind of favorite names, uh, number 21, Gage Workman, whose middle name is Tater, uh, third baseman, Gage Workman. Interesting to see how he works with all of the minor league coaches, uh, but he's going to develop fast in our organization. A big guy, middle name Taters, what's, what's not to love? Gage um, Taters Workman. And let's not forget that he also played with a few other Tigers in college, so he's yeah. going to feel right, he's going to feel right at home. Yeah, he was with Torkelson out there at Arizona State, I think. Yep. Um, then uh, Colt Keith at 23, third baseman slash right-handed pitcher. I like uh, Colt. I think that the Tigers did not go wrong with overpromising that they want him to be just kind of that utility all-around athlete. Uh, in the next year or two, I think he's going to hone in on one position, but tremendous upside. Uh, 26, Trey Cruz, shortstop. Love Trey Cruz. Uh, I think that that is your future shortstop. The the age and, and just smarts around Cruz are amazing. Uh, he'll move up through the system relatively quickly. I, I think he'll be at triple a by the end of 2021 Ooh. uh 31 zach hess right-handed pitcher i want to be high on him uh being 23 he needs to probably really excel uh during this 2021 season he's also a little bit inconsistent when it comes to arm slot and delivery all right, and then last one here, uh, number 39, former uh, Brewers outfield prospect, Troy Stokes Jr. Uh, what, what do you got about him? I, I like Troy Stokes. I think he gets overlooked uh, in the mm-hmm. prospect rankings. He's also got really good experience. I mean, he already played AAA with Milwaukee. I think that's where he starts uh, for Detroit. This is one that could be a major league call-up if there's injuries or, you know, zero percent chance of playoffs come august into september uh it's interesting to look at what he could add as either a fourth outfielder or or as a couple year starter in the outfield absolutely man i I love troy stokes jr like he's he he's had 2020 seasons down in the minors big power speed guy you know he doesn't quite have you know the big um like contact numbers but plenty of power. Yeah, smaller guy. Kind of gets overlooked. You know, it was, it was really kind of tough for me to see him get, uh, you know, claimed off waivers there a couple of years ago and, and bounced around. But yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of Troy Stokes as well. I agree. I think that if he can figure out how to get on base a little bit more, uh, his his just his minor league tape that I've watched is just a little bit too de- more dependent on you know that long ball. This is fairly ridiculous. After talking about it with you, I already thought it was. And, um, yeah, this is a really, really good amount of prospects. But, like you said, let's see if they can screw it all up. That's the Tigers' way. (laughs) It's the the Tigers' way. One of the top five will undoubtedly have a knock on wood, a a terrible injury that will set them back and – I mean, you look at Alex Fiedo and Franklin Perez, and they should be up in the top, and they're not. So it's one of those – it's tough. It's really tough. All right, Kurt, 
uh, here at the end, we always give our guests an opportunity to name one guy that we didn't cover. Um, we covered a lot of guys, so I don't know if you have anybody or not. If not, it's totally fine off the top of your head. But if you have one guy that you wanted to mention. I am going to mention one, and it's going to be really easy, and it's going to be Jose De La Cruz, uh, mm. one of my one of the youngest top-ranked. I have him at 19. He, he could be something special. Uh, at only 18, he's going to get some, some minor league exposure, get out of rookie bar and foreign, uh, you know, DPLs, but he, he could elevate quickly and could be the future of that outfield with Riley green. Beautiful. I do like him quite a bit. I don't, I don't know how he overlooked him. It's kind of like Connor Scott over there with Stoffer. I'm like, this is a guy I, I would have wanted to talk about right away. But well done, Kurt. Um, why don't you go ahead and uh, tell the people where they can find you on Twitter or anything else like that and what you've been working on. Um, this is your time. So you can find me on Twitter at at debt underscore guru Kurt, D-E-T underscore guru underscore Kurt. Uh, right now I'm, I'm working on covering next week's Texas versus SEC college tournament in, in Arlington at Globe Life Park. So we're going to have kind of an all-tournament team and looking at the next prospects uh, of the three Texas college teams and three SEC teams that will be playing three days in a row. Uh, going to get to cover that and, and kind of report back on who could potentially be on anybody's list uh, within Prospects 1500 next year after the draft. So excited to see baseball in person, even if it's just college. Absolutely. Well said, Kurt. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast, giving us some of that insider knowledge, both biased and unbiased from a Tigers fan. It's nice to see it from both angles. Um, Mr. Stoffer, can you also let the people know where they can find you, what you've been working on, anything else that you wanted to plug while you're on the podcast? Yeah, I can be reached at uh, Stoffer81, S-T-O-F-F-E-R-81. Uh, on Twitter, and uh, I got an article in the queue about the next prospect that just missed the top 50. That should be out in the next couple days. And uh, Kurt, I'll get offline and talk to you about number 34 on your list because I want to start adding him in fantasy. Ulrich Bajarski. I just love the name. That's all I got. He is he is the pride of South Africa, Stoffer. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody, that's gonna do it for us here on. Uh, the Futures Focus podcast. I am Alex Sanchez, David Gasper, Kurt Moody, Stoffer Cox, everybody here. Thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate it. David, anything else to add before we sign off here? Um, I, ju I just saw some from uh, one of our other contributors at Prospects 1500. Uh, Paul Wooden put up a poll on if people think that once Ichiro Suzuki is eligible for the Hall, if he would get a 100% unanimous vote. And I think, how can you not make him unanimous, you know? I agree 100%, and he should go in as a Marlin. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I also agree 100%, but he's a Mariner stopper. Where'd he get his 2,000? <laughs> Where'd he get his first 2,800 of them? <laughs> Japan. Or does he go into the international wing? That's a very good point. I think, it's a, I think he gets 100% of the vote, but where he goes in could be a mystery. Yeah, I, I sure hope he gets 100% of the vote. We just have some very weird 
people voting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was an all Jeff Kent ballot this year. What's up with that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't trust all of those writers, but he obviously is a hundred percent Hall of Famer, first ballot, no doubt. And uh, yeah, the real question is, what does he go in? I think it's got to be the Mariners, though, if I had to. Oh, oh yeah, 100%. <laughs> Although the international <laughs> thing is very, like, he, he opened the doors. I mean, honestly, I mean, maybe Nomo for in a certain extent, but, like, I don't know where we would be without Ichiro now in the international world. All right, everybody, I think that's officially it. So, again, thank you for listening. We will be ne- back next week with two other farm systems to go over. And don't forget to check out the site every day. Always some great contact uh, contact coming through uh, prospects1500.com. So appreciate all of the support, guys, and we will talk to you next week. Bye.